Well, I, I believe it's real. It's called, the acronym is SAD, Seasonal Affective Disorder. Some of us have it really bad. I live with someone, it's a real disorder. She was partially raised in Florida. I took her to Georgia for 30 years. And then the last couple of years, I've had her reside with me, Delia, my spouse, my wife, in these overcast winter days of Kentucky. And so she has longed for, for daylight savings time. And I, I, I think we respond without question to light. People have been talking about, oh, the sun is out. It's going to be warmer today. And I think emotionally we're kind of connecting with that. With that word, uh, recognizing today, the flip side of that is darkness. And maybe you can't admit it now at this stage, but for some it's real. Maybe you can hearken back to an earlier age. How many of you were afraid of the dark? Anybody? Okay. I see some honest folks here today. That's good. Uh, It's real. And while we don't label it as a disorder, it's a reality for us. And as children, maybe you had a room where that nightlight was significant, or you asked mom or dad if they would leave the closet light on with the door cracked because it kind of fended off some of the unknowns, right? I mean, some of us would get up in the night, maybe use the restroom, and, and we thought about what was up under our mattress and bed, right? And, and you would do the leap over the outreach of whatever it was in there, in the dark, but a little bit of light helped you to be able to see in the face of that uncertainty. And so... All of us, really, if we were honest, could say that darkness is something we're apprehensive about in the spiritual realm. What is darkness? I asked a couple of folks today, I said, what what do you think darkness represents? And one person said, estrangement. Another person said, Addiction. Another person said, the uncertainty of the future. Another one said, depression. There is a sense in which our humanity is apprehensive about darkness. But we are people of hope, and we are in the midst of this series entitled, I Am Jesus. And one of the wonderful things that Jesus does in his incarnation is he has a ministry of presence to those he's around, and in his teaching, as he says, you can discover me. And last week, we discovered that he's the bread of life. That all of us intrinsically have a hunger and a void that only he can satisfy. We continue with 
John 8. And we find that he says very clearly, I am the light of the world. And when he spoke in that gathering, he said, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have light, have the light of life. We find that that contrast in Scripture is really woven all through the Holy Text. We have light and darkness and the contrast. And, and let's just take light, for example. We can go all the way back to creation. And in verse 3 of Genesis 1, the creation narrative, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and morning the first day. And so we find that contrast in that in creation, in a beautiful way, there was shapelessness, there was a void, and God provided one of the very first things was light. And then in the Old Testament, we find a number of references, but even the prophecies regarding the Messiah and the long-expected Savior of the Jewish people, Isaiah 9-2, we hear it at Christmas time so often during Advent, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. And so we get to the New Testament, and Jesus identifies himself as light. And we know that Scripture points to the prince of darkness as well, Satan, the evil one. And so there is a spiritual realm and there is a raging battle that we contend with in this world. I'm absolutely convinced of that. And so Jesus is speaking into that as we come into John 8. And John's gospel really had as a thesis that that John 3.16, that you might believe. He wanted to make a convincing argument that Jesus is worth believing in and following. And so he helps us in what is really a conclusive statement of what just happened. He said, I am the light of the world. But earlier, contextually, we find in the first part of this chapter where Jesus is teaching in the temple. And crowds are gathering around, and his popularity once again is at an all-time high. And, and as they're listening, some religious leaders distract him. And they hold up his message, and they say, wait a minute, Jesus. And they hold before Jesus and the crowd a woman caught in adultery. And so they levy accusations at her. This woman, according to the law, has committed a crime that is worth stoning her for, putting her to death. I appreciate Jesus so much. Most often we see him 
being very patient with critics. It says in the scripture that this was all to, they weren't so concerned about this woman and they surely weren't concerned about the law. They wanted to entrap Jesus. And yet he pauses, you know, a, a good advice for all of us. He has a countdown before he blasts off, right? And, and, and he pauses and he, he writes in the sand. Some scholars would suggest that as he writes in the sand, that he is actually naming the accusers of this woman and their transgression. And then he says a a very famous line. You who have not sinned, cast the first stone. I don't know about you, but I, in my journey, I've been guilty of gathering stones. I've been guilty of not wanting to face the mirror and and looking out at the wrongs of others. And so, so this woman who lives in darkness and the Pharisees who are in darkness in their own religiosity stand before Jesus in this crowd. And he's very compassionate toward this woman. And I, I really believe he must have sensed intuitively, spiritually, he is all-knowing, what her darkness was. They had brought guilt on her and shame. There was a ministry in Georgia that our church supported, uh, the church where I was serving, and it helped women who were being trafficked uh, for sexual acts. And this ministry would go to hotels and reach out to these women who were in prostitution. Hand them a flower, a rose, and say, if you will come with us, we have a way to keep you protected and anonymous We'll help you with some of your needs. We'll have you in a home, a residential home, where no one will know you were there until you can remove yourself from this this cycle that you're caught in. You know what the name of that ministry was? Out of Darkness. Out of Darkness. And so Jesus is speaking to a host of folks when he says, I am the light of the world. Well, we know how that story, many of us know how that story concludes. He says, which one of you has failed to sin? Throw the first stone. And and interestingly, it says in the scripture that it began with the oldest. They began to depart. Why was that? Maybe they knew in their wisdom they had been had. And Jesus said, where is your accuser and accusers? They have not condemned you and neither do I. Now what's interesting is what follows. He says, now go. And there's a hastening to this. There's an immediacy to when he says, now go. And cease to do what you have done that has been 
so self-destructive for you. And then he says to those that are listening in, you've not trapped me. I want you to know that I am the light of the world and those who follow after me will never walk in darkness. And so today, I want us to kind of lean into that line of I am the light of the world. And I want to ask you, where are you in terms of the light? We find that uh, light does a lot of things, doesn't it? One of the things it does is it exposes reality. You've said it to someone before. Can you shed a little light on this? We know that we can see better when there is greater exposure, right? I mean, I have used illustrations from my family and home, and with family, I I had to get permission, okay, to use their lives as an example, good or bad. And also the house. I remember one time I was using the house as an example, and I came home and Delia said, well, you gave them the indication that I'm not a good housekeeper. And that was never the point. And so I want to make that clear today as I use this illustration, okay? Our house is spotless. It's great. But, but the point is, I don't know about you, but one of my chores every once in a while is to dust. And, and what I find is there's not much for me to do when the lights are down. The task isn't overwhelming. But when the lights are up and I turn on the lamps and the overhead fan light, I can see a film of dust. In the same way, When the light of Christ illuminates our hearts and our minds, God uses the conscience. The Holy Spirit convicts. And during the season of Lent and repentance, it gives us the opportunity to move in a different direction, to identify that reality, whatever it is that is holding us back from God's best. It reveals our guilt, our shame. And what Jesus says is that if you walk in the light, you won't have to walk in darkness. The beautiful thing about the Lenten season is we are moving toward the cross. And Christ has cleansed us of all of our sin. He's done the work of atonement. Atonement, the word means at one with God. He's bridged the gap. As Paul said, there's no longer condemnation for those who are in Christ. And so it doesn't matter how much dust or grit or dirt you've had. Jesus paid it all. The scripture says all we have to do is confess and believe. And we are cleansed. And so light for me is very disclosing. It's very revealing. And I think that's important. It's also a guide at the same time. Uh, The psalmist says it well, doesn't, doesn't the psalmist, as we find 
it says that um, Psalm 119, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. Thy word illuminates the way. It allows us to be about some correction in our lives and gets us on the right path and helps us to see just far enough. We can't see the future too far, and I'm not sure we could handle it if we could, but we are able to see far enough to journey. A friend of mine in the church was telling me a story about how he was in a relationship in an earlier day as a younger man and um, had real questions about that relationship, that dating relationship, about whether it was good for her, whether it was good for him. And, And he went to a pastor, a pastor that he really respected and, and, and just, he asked him what was really a challenging question. He said, Pastor, I'm in this relationship. Here are some of the questions I have. I'm not sure what direction to move. I'm not sure if this is the kind of relationship I need to be in. And the pastor said this. He didn't say. Go on your own feelings. He didn't say, just follow the ones who always agree with you. You know, that's, that's kind of like going back to, to the woman. Jesus didn't enable her. He didn't say, well, you know, I, I know you entered into this act, which is not really what God intended for you to be exploited, to find your worth in men using you. And I, I, he didn't go into... I know you were raised without a father or you grew up in a bad... No, he said, stop it. This is not healthy for you. And, and what my friend said is when he went to this pastor, the pastor was, was not real long and eloquent with his response. He said... Stay in the light. That's all he said. A friend wanted to hear more. Come on, give me a breakdown. Make it easy for me. Pull the cookies down to the bottom shelf. Let, let, help me here. He said, young man, stay in the light. I think we know what that pastor was saying. That the light guides It identifies, it discloses, it guides. And you will find the way. Jesus said, if you enter into a relationship with me, you will move away from darkness. Now, darkness can be a reality, and sometimes there has to be that light in the midst of darkness. Sometimes there's a dark night of the soul, and we have to contend with the circumstances Some of them we brought on, some of them were brought on by others. But that light is hope. It says it's revealing in so many ways. It's it's a guidance system, and light reflects. 
in a beautiful way, refraction, reflection, however you want to describe it. There's something significant when we walk with Christ and others can see it. In a number of ways. Some of it has to do with what we say yes to and what we say no to. Some of it has to do with how they see what we value most. Some of it has to do with our disposition. I have been around believers, even when I was not one, and I could tell the difference. Not because they were somehow cool or attractive. There was just a light about them. You could look in their eye. You could see that there was hope, that there was something they were relying on that was bigger than themselves. Matthew records the words of Jesus in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. He doesn't say, let your light so shine before others that they just pat you on the back and give you a lot of self-gratification and attaboys and attagirls. No, it has a purpose about it, that you would point others to Christ. That God is using you, as I prayed in the prayer for the college students, as an emissary, an ambassador of grace. That those who are living in darkness can have a way out. You're able to say, I know where we can find some light. And I want to suggest to you that your very presence, as you walk with Christ, Sarah said, it's just not believing in Christ, it's being a disciple of Christ, that when Christ becomes more and more part of your life, oh, how some translations say, let your light so shine. It shines. In a church where I served, there was a, a young boy, he had been a, a very traumatic accident and they were doing a very delicate surgery on him and it was touch and go and the young parents were in the waiting room as surgery was taking place and so as a pastor, I, just, I felt the need, part of my responsibility was to wait until everything was okay, until they got a good word from the doctor and I, and I saw people coming in from the church and I saw an older couple that had no children, but they cared so much for this family, and the room got a little brighter. And then there was a young couple that were, uh, they had children who had friends of this child that were in the church, and and the room got a little brighter. And then I, and then I saw somebody else come that had very little relationship with them, but wanted to be supportive, and they brought food because the parents hadn't had anything to eat in the, in the waiting room and they didn't want to go to the cafeteria at the hospital and the room got a little brighter. And then we prayed together. And we were able to see more clearly that there was an unseen presence in that room that was illuminating our hearts and minds 
that it was going to be okay. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Let's pray together.